Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Revolution and Fall, subtitled Christian Life in a Post-Christian World. Interesting topic, and the author... Charles Grice joins me from near Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. And if I may, I'll refer to you informally as Chuck in the conversation. Your book is a, uh, I would say, a, a relatively easy read for as far as length. I, I've, you know, visited with many authors, and some have books that are eight, nine hundred pages, and they have to split them in two and get them into two, two. Uh, two different books in order for uh, the, the material to be be disseminated. This is 131 pages or so. It deals with the Christianity and obviously the Christian world. You, you refer to our world as post-Christian. Why did you come to that conclusion? Uh, in, in a sense, it's not necessarily my conclusion, because that's what today a lot of academics and philosophers and other cultural uh, critics have are calling it, and in in a sense, maybe um, they might be right. If you look at Europe, uh, church attendance is probably less than ten percent in most uh, countries. And just one example: the um, most recent uh, surveys talk about people who call themselves the nuns, which they have no church affiliation, no particular faith uh, system, they just call themselves the nuns, are technically equal to the number of churchgoers. So it's it's pretty revolutionary what's happened in the last 50 years. You have a background not as a theologian specifically, other than personal study. You uh, have uh, a legal mind, I would I would guess would be the right way to describe that, one that loves detail and obviously is good at it. Your book is filled with references and, and background uh, information as well. You talk about the revolution, you talk about culture, you talk about enlightenment that left us in the dark. That happened several centuries ago, and how did that begin the process of uh, maybe turning the, the genuine churchgoer and believer uh, maybe into a secular humanist? Uh, yeah, I mean, all this began because when I was teaching Sunday school, as I've been doing for almost 30 years, I really found classes and uh, Christians struggling, either anxious or despondent or sometimes angry at cultural changes. And, and after a while, I thought, you know, really Christians need some resources uh, to regain their confidence. They and I thought to myself, uh, really, if we want to respond uh, as true disciples, we really need to understand what happened, how it happened, uh, the underlying belief systems of secular humanism, its ways of persuading, especially our youth. So that began me starting to teach about culture and how culture changed, and um it did begin, I guess, some of the very early ideas in the Enlightenment. Uh, it was kind of an early assault in Europe on the church and church teachings. And 
It was by philosophers like Descartes and Kant and those who ostensibly were Christians but really had very unorthodox ideas. And if you trace it, as I do, in a brief chapter that's really, I think, uh, very clear and not philosophical and just uh, very readable, uh, you can trace the actual movement of philosophy to from that to just pure out-and-out atheism, which pretty much culminated in Karl Marx. Uh, so I think if you look underneath what's going on in secular humanism, I think the Christian really, once they gain an understanding and see what its belief systems are and how fragile they are and how little meaning it supplies for us, Christians kind of start regaining their confidence. You also can view today's culture and Christian culture. There's a lack of what I would call thoughtful apologetics in the Christian Christian faith. There are many pastors and church leaders who use the religious terms and and try to motivate motivate people that way, but some feel or give the impression that common sense, uh, logic, even science can be left at the door. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, um, we're all given common sense, we're all given logic, and science is really supposed to be about facts, and Christians aren't supposed to be about denying facts. So, uh, you know, you find uh, in the gospel some very logical arguments, not just uh, arguments that are emotional appeals. So, the whole Christian tradition uh, used to be uh, some of the greatest thinkers that uh, really brought to fore uh, common sense and logic and reason um, to to the Gospels. Um, I do have one chapter on science, and, you know, there's really nothing in science that proves or disproves anything about faith. What I've go through in this chapter, which a lot of people have really enjoyed, just getting a perspective, is how the secular movement is really misusing science. I call it in there pseudoscience. Mm. Uh, Making unscientific claims, really, just to back up their secular agenda. So I think that's just one another things when you kind of look under the hood of secular humanism, you find out that really um, it's a very weak moral system, and you find out that uh, there's not much to it. It's it's almost like uh, breaking the spell sometimes. And it's phenomenal. I have uh, grandchildren who are college age or beginning in, in college uh, education. There is a an all-out assault on, I would say, traditional values and, and almost a ridicule of those who hold them. Your book should be able to assist them in their in their quest if they are faith driven. Yeah, I think this book actually um, does address not only the person who's a Christian, but also the person who's just inquiring, um, and the person who you know. There's a lot of catchphrases and slogans and platitudes used by secular world that sound enchanting, but when you kind of look behind them, um, it really provides no meaning for these people. And so that's why we have this very anxious culture we do, especially among young people. So well, I think this is a, this has been a good resource. I know a lot of my friends who have read this book have, said, have ordered said, I'm going to give this to my college-age child. Was that part of the motivation for penning the words of your of your book? 
Uh, yeah, it, it was. I mean, uh, it's it's obviously, as you said, we're in a culture that, um, especially in the academic culture of sending them off to college, of uh, actively promoting a culture of unbelief. And the examples are everywhere. Um, I know I was reading the other day about a woman who said her child learned early on at uh, Berkeley not to tell anybody she was a Christian for fear of being humiliated and called backwards and ignorant. So it's out there. Yeah, that was a motivation. Uh, It is uh, a difficult culture to be uh, living in at this point, and uh, I believe there even are some scriptural references that talk about the lack of faith in uh, what is referred to by many in Christianity as end times. Do you also hold that view that there is a, besides the all-out assault, that there are some challenges that the church and individuals who, who are people of faith need to address? Well, yeah, now that's uh, in each chapter I have has specific things. One, it kind of uncovers some of the fragile foundations of secular humanism. But, uh, you know, I find a lot of churches believing they need to adapt to the modern culture. And so they're uh, getting away from the gospel and starting to promote more political agendas for social justice. And you'll notice that those churches are the ones that are dying out over Mm. time, the ones that are denying resurrection and moving away from Orthodox Christianity. Uh, The irony is the more they try to appeal to the new culture, uh, the less people become. And because of your background as an attorney and uh, having, I guess, a love for detail, there are some wonderful details outlined in your book, but I think the way to describe it would be conversational. Was that a purposeful thing, or was it difficult to do? Uh, yeah, you know, actually, writing clearly and writing conversational is a little more difficult than it, it seems, but uh, one, um, I'm not trying to be a great author or... Uh, Anything else, I, I, it's an idea that I want to communicate clearly. And I think the goal of my writing isn't to be something that I'm not. It's really just to communicate clearly um, what is going on in culture. And so I think people appreciate that. The title, Revolution and Fall, was that something that was the first part of your book, the title? Or was it something that came after the contents were completed? You know, I always wait until I'm finished. And then, because the book you start to write is never the book that you end up writing. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. It's kind of amazing how that works. And as I said, this is my second book. But, uh, yeah, you never really know what's going to come out. You start off with an idea. Uh, it changes. You get into it deeper. And so at the end, I thought, you know, uh, it's happened so slowly to us in this Christian world that it's been so subtle. Uh, we don't realize what a revolution it's been to have, like I say, Europe with small percentages. When I went to Europe, churches were empty. Uh, and then even today, uh, we have so many churches that are just empty. So uh, it, it, it's nothing less than a revolution if you really look back at Western civilization. It had a Christian foundation for almost 2,000 years. Something's happened in the last 50. 
Absolutely, and it seems to be increasing in speed uh, the more you look at the culture and its impact on our world. The title of your book, Revolution and Fall, great title, and the subtitle is Christian Life in a Post-Christian World. My author guest has been Charles Grice. Charles, my listeners need to get a copy of this, and I will recommend this for anyone who, as you have uh, said in your your earlier uh, conversation, you have been a uh, a teacher in Sunday school and in the church environment. This would be a great resource for that as well. Where do they get a copy of Revolution and Fall? Uh, it's available on Amazon, uh, and it's but also you could get it at the author house, um, A-U-T-H-O-R house, and they have a website, too, where you can get it. And, um, yeah, I think it's really designed not only for anybody who's anxious or whatever about this new revolution, but I think it blends itself very much to a Sunday school course. matter of fact, after I've written it, uh, I've already done two Sunday school classes, each of them about six months in we will hopefully get a chance to visit with you again on the next edition or the revision of this, if there ever is one. And I would also, because of my background and being around young adults, I think this would be great for a youth pastor or a youth ministry to share the gospel and share some important topics that impact our culture. Chuck, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. My pleasure. For Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute defines high cholesterol as a condition in which you have too much cholesterol in your blood. By itself, the condition usually has no signs or symptoms. People who have high blood cholesterol have a greater chance of getting coronary artery disease. According to the American Heart Association, more than 120 million Americans over the age of 20 have cholesterol counts that are above a healthy level. Harvard Medical School says that the good news is that cholesterol levels can be controlled, and just by lowering your total cholesterol 10%, you can decrease your heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. Making changes in your eating is important, but including daily exercise is a must. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title is Remember Eternity. And joining me from somewhere in the Northwest, I'm, I'm Northeast. Now, let me see, where are you, Judith? I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. Indianapolis, Indiana, is author J.E. Starks Brown. Welcome, Judith, to the program. Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to talk with you. I was fascinated by the background story of your of your work. It is a relatively short read, 156 pages or so. But you you began writing this uh, as a young student in high school, 14 years of age, and have been um, nurturing this story for a number of years. In fact, you are a retirement age, if I understand it correctly. Yes, I just retired uh, back in October, and when I was. Uh, 
a stay-at-home mom. I have five daughters, and I would write this uh, in composition books, uh, taking up from where I started from. I had to add material. I had to delete material because of the because of the times. Because times change, right. and and depending on what God gave me to write. I had to follow the leading of my spirit, and this is what I came up with. And actually, what we have out on uh, Amazon right now is only part one. Part one. Now, the, the the fascinating thing again about this book not only is the fact that you started it when you were fourteen years old, uh, a freshman in high school, but that the uh, the subject material is uh, one of spiritual journey, and that's a little bit unusual. Also, was that uh, unusual for your time when you were uh, in in school? What motivated you to become focused on your Christian faith? Well. Um I received the gift of the Holy Spirit at age 13, and this is all I know. I was brought up in this way, and I this is all I, I have been taught. So it was very easy for me to write. But you also stuck. You stuck with. You stuck with it, though. That, that's another thing that yes, I guess that in today's yes, world, in today's world, in today's society, uh, students who maybe have been brought up in church and uh, attend church maybe at least once a week, which is now the now the norm, used to be three or four times a week, uh, have um, kind of uh, blended with the uh, the society around them. Uh, that was not the case with you. Absolutely not, and especially in the day that we live in now, uh, this is very timely because everyone has an eternity, and God gave me the title for this book, I would say, probably, oh, 10 to 15 years ago when I bought a secondhand computer that had Windows 95 on it, (laughs) and that was when... I began to type up everything that I had handwritten. It's it's fascinating and that you you kept your notes that long also for that number of I years still and have. still had the passion for writing the story. One other thing that's unique about your your book and your storyline is that it is a fictional work, of course, I will mention that. It also yes, it is. is done in conversational style. A lot of books and stories will have, uh, you know, descriptives of background uh, maybe environments where the characters are located and and those kinds of things. Yours is more conversational between the characters. Was that unique? Uh, to your work that is but the the there is an introduction and there is a forward which ex, which explains the characters but you're right the book is 75 percent dialogue which is my writing style which i feel most comfortable with but yet there are some narratives to explain the dialogue and that is the best way that I can communicate with my reader. Explain to my my listeners a little of the main characters in your story and what is the focal point of the storyline, if you can share that. Okay, my focal point is the transformation power of the Holy Spirit. And the main character, or one of the main characters, is... uh, His name is Douglas, and he has a save from the streets testimony that is very powerful. Um, 
he was out there in the world doing anything and everything. And he was a witness to a very violent motorcycle accident where his friend was killed right in front of his eyes. And it was very traumatic to him. He was at the point of suicide, and that went... And that was when his mother-in-law stepped in and simply told him four words that actually changed his changed his life. And those words for him were, "Let God help you." Hmm. And he he came to church because she invited him to, and that was the only reason why. But he heard the gospel, he believed it, and. He allowed God to transform his life. It's a comparison probably to the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus. Right. He was he was killing the people of God, thinking he was doing God's service. But when God stopped him in his tracks and blinded him for three days, that's that was when his life was changed. So Douglas testifies to anyone that will listen to him, the transforming power of God, if you allow him to help you, and his his life touches many other lives. And what it all boils down to is we all have to prepare for the eternity that every one of us faces. And you're whether st- you're- we die or whether we are caught up you, you into have- the... You ha- rapture of the church. Yes, you have a, you have a storyline, of course. Is there, because this is dialogue-driven, is there also some action scene other than the one you've mentioned where there was a serious accident that impacted the main character? Yeah, there was a suicide attempt from a family member. There were uh, several accidents that happened, but you have to actually read the story to get the uh, full understanding of the book and it is just something that I think will help down to earth ordinary people, people that are struggling with addictions people that don't have any power uh, over circumstances and that is the bottom line the power of the spirit of God which is a gift that he promised us on the day of Pentecost 2000 years ago and it just behooves everyone to take advantage of this great gift that he promised. Uh, when you, when that you're, is the gist of the book. Yeah, when you were thinking of, of uh, getting this book released and, and printed, and I'm sure with encouragement from family members and others that knew of your passion, was there a, uh, a, a difficult time in getting all of these thoughts assembled? Uh, this has been a, a long process, and if so, are you considering the other two or three additional uh, steps of, of uh, releasing the series? Well, step two, or part two, is I'm already over 100 pages into it. Wonderful. And that will probably be released, hopefully, by the end of the year. So this is a very long novel. It was too long to be put into one book, so it's going to have to be divided into three or four parts since I have been writing it for so long. Now, are young adults going to enjoy this read, do you think? Are they going to be engaged by the characters? 
Hopefully so, because these are down-to-earth people. They are most of the characters are young people. There are a few older, more settled people, but there are people coming uh, from all walks of life that need to know about this message, and that is why I felt so compelled to get it out there. It's not going to be popular with everyone. I'm going to get some backlash, I'm sure. But this is what God has given me, and I have no fear. Was there What was the most challenging part in getting this completed? Was it just the time span that uh, you had to I- embrace and, and overcome, or were there other things that also were a complicated uh, part of getting this produced? Well, up until October, I was working most of most of the time I was working over 60 hours a week and I had no time to do it but as soon as I retired in October I felt pushed I felt led to do this and everything just kind of fell into place and I've already sold several copies I don't have an exact number right now but uh, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from people that have read the book. Some people have read it twice. And most of the feedback I have gotten is they like it because it is so down-to-earth and real. They can relate to the things that happen to these people. And hopefully... You know, that will get the message across. Well, fabulous. And and one thing I will say about the book that is unique, at least from my perspective, is the fact that it's primarily dialogue-driven. It, it is a little bit uh, yes. different from that perspective. It's almost like a movie script or a play. You can almost envision mm-hmm. this on stage. Uh, perhaps that's something that we'll develop from, from the book as time progresses. The title of the book, again, is Remember Eternity. My author, J.E. Starks Brown. Uh, Judith, where do we get copies of your book? It is available on Amazon. It is available on Barnes & Noble and also from Arthur House, which is the uh, company that published the book. So it's available for $13.99 for the paperback version and $3.99 for the e-book. Excellent. And I will mention this, that uh, Starks Brown is uh, Starks, S-T-A-R-K-S hyphen B-R-O-W-N, if they're doing a search online, initials J-E. J-E Starks Brown has been my guest, and the title of the book again is Remember Eternity. Best of luck with this, and hopefully we'll get to visit again when the next of the uh, series is released. Thanks again for joining me today. All right, thank you. My pleasure for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's words you never heard. Believe it or not, there are times when even I can't think of the right word. The inability to think of a word is called lethologica. Texas Monthly Magazine recently came out with some colorful homespun sayings. Old as dirt and common as cornbread in the Lone Star State. Did you hear about the Texan that could strut sitting down? But he was all hat and no cattle, which means very boastful, but with nothing about which to boast. On top of that, he don't know a widget from a wangdoodle or a diddly squat. 
his wife was a mighty strong woman, she'd charge hell with a bucket of ice water. She was always telling folks that he was so tight, he could squeeze a nickel till the buffalo screamed. She also said he was famous for calling the hogs all night. Or snoring. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Everything's Always Perfect. Fascinating title. And joining me is author Kevin Jenkins, who joins me from near Washington, D.C. Welcome, sir, to the program. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much, Jay. Thank you for having me. Well, this is a relatively short read, 108 pages, and uh, when I began to read it, it uh, almost came about as a uh, personal prayer diary. Would that be a way to describe it? How would you describe uh, the contents of your book? Well, I was so excited to um, to write, uh, and it's uh, really on relationships. It's, it's all about uh, all the sorts of relationships that we, uh, that we um, work on every day. Um, so it's really just saying, you know, this is what works for me. This is the way I pray, and this is what works for me in my relationship. And hopefully it will move you from one place to the next as well. And it's not very complicated the way you have described it or the way you are writing. I mean, it's not like there's four or five pages and a lot of exercises. There are a few pages where I guess you can reflect on your day. And I noticed one where I could uh, maybe circle uh, little icons that would let me know or let me reflect on how my day went. Uh, I think three or four of those are probably the way I would describe my day most of the time, and and that's that's incorrect. Uh, th- the purpose of your book is to get people off of that bad mindset and into something positive, correct? Absolutely, and it's just uh, I wanted to be interactive in my approach, and just um, journaling your journey is one of the things I talk about, and it's so important that the good, the bad, and everything in between is included in your journey because once you have that sort of feedback and once you are uh, aware of those sort of things that are going on in your day-to-day, only then can you, uh, through self-awareness, go in and make changes to to make things better for yourself. Absolutely. Uh, you are a creative. You are a musician, singer, and uh, I'll call it performer, but you're also a worship leader in church, and, church environs. A lot of Creative people have wonderful ideas, but they never get them down into print or in a practical, uh, usable format. You have managed to do so. Is that something that you have had all of your life, the ability to do that, or, or is that something you had to discipline yourself to do? It was discipline, and then all things work together for the good. I mean, the idea was planted uh, as a seed, and um, we know that a, a seed in clay won't grow. So once I've gotten to the point where... I was around an environment where there was fertile soil for my gift to grow. That's exactly what happened. And how long did it take you to complete this? Uh, you mentioned the word journal in your book itself. Is that something that is also an outcropping of a journaling process you do on a regular basis? Yes, I journal my journal uh, faithfully. I, I go in and uh, I, you know, I, uh, I ask myself, well, you know, what went good today and what could improve for tomorrow and I, and I take those sort of notes and um it, and I, that's something that I think is really important because it being in a long distance relationship you know my wife hasn't been there the whole the whole way physically to say you know hey how was your day right and so during our journey 
uh, that was probably the hardest part, not having her there to say, you know, hey, how was your day? So I would have to, uh, I would have to take notes on my own and say, well, here's how my day was. So when we had the opportunity to connect, um, we can have that that sort of interchange where we can uh, iron sharpens iron and we can help one another along. <laughs> well, absolutely. I noticed you have the uh, the little icon of an of a of a rain cloud uh, also included in your work as uh, an option for for me to circle if I'm reading your book and and want to express how my day is going or has gone. Did you uh, have the unfortunate or the fortunate? aspects of uh, circling rain clouds a lot while your wife was in a, in a different location. Right, well, and, and usually I really base that part of it off the weather, <laughs> so because <laughs> I think that um, a lot of times I know here in Washington uh, days would be a little, uh, as far as work, you know, it, some days um, in the uh, in the D.C. area, of course, uh, they will actually shut the entire town down. And since a lot of wow. times the president is in town, they shut the town down. It affects everyone. So I noticed those snow days or those rainy days where we couldn't get a lot of things done as far as um, I, I work in adult education as well. And a lot of times, um, uh, you know, if I can't get to a class that I'm delivering, and I would definitely keep those uh, sort of notes available to myself and kind of just a reminder you know, how was my day? Well, I couldn't um, go to class today because it was snowing outside. So just to, just to kind of journal my journal, my journey and to kind of remind myself uh, what happened, you know, during those particular rainy days. Well, I, I would put in my vote for when the House and Senate are in town, they shut down the government. I mean, that would be my choice. They shut down the town. Uh, but uh, that's uh, that's a different problem. Uh, how are you, uh, in putting this together, did it take a long time, Kevin, or was this something that just flowed naturally from, from your notes? It took around, I'll say, I'll say about two years. Um, it was... It was the text messages, excuse me, um, when my wife had gotten a new job in California and I was here in D.C. And we went through a really, really, uh, a really dark point, and I didn't think we were going to make it. And so I would text her a prayer in the morning and a prayer in the evening, and it really helped us to be consistent on what we were asking for from God. Hmm. And um, when she moved back to D.C., um, I had a chance to kind of um, we're moving our things and stuff because um, we, we moved from a different city here in the area, and I, I found all these text messages that I had. Um, I had printed out, and and then I just you know I said, wow, these are really really cool, and it helps you to realize where you're at when you're um, in a place uh, in a wilderness situation. Because I don't know if uh, it's just like the beggar in the Bible. When you have an eye and you look at the Bible with the eye in a wilderness situation, you're almost looking at the uh, looking at the Bible, looking at the Word like you're begging from God. And that's what it was. It was, Lord, please change, ch- please move me, please change the situation, and um, and and that's exactly what He did. Who do you think is uh, going to find this book of help to them? This is not a, a, a single read, I wouldn't think. I b- would, b- would also look at this maybe as a reference book. Would, would you uh, envision it that way as well? 
Yeah, I would envision it to uh, really appeal to all audiences because it's not only about romantical relationships, but it's about the people that we love the most, our teachers. It's about, you know, our families. You know, I pray the same way for my, my brothers and my sister um, who who don't live in the area with me as well. They're, you know, we're kind of scattered all across the country. Our family in uh, Houston, Texas, and, and New York. And particularly, these are the prayers that have covered us uh, for for our entire, you know, generations. These are the prayers that we pray as a family to cover us while we're apart. Is there anything on your discovery process or in your growth as an individual and as a person of uh, prayer that surprised you when you look back? I can't necessarily say I was surprised. Um, it did. It was a, a testimony of faith. It was a testimony of uh, my drive. And um, it really is a, just a testament of what God can do and how all things can work together for the good. How, how would you introduce this book to someone? I, I know that because you're a musician, singer, you uh, ha- have an opportunity to interact with a lot of, a lot of uh, different types of people. When they come and visit with you or, or are interacting with you, is there the opportunity to share this? How would you introduce it to them? Well, I'm a really I'm a creative person, and um, whenever I am uh, uh, am asked to speak in front of a group, I really encourage that they read the book before I uh, before I arrive, because it really is a spiritual intervention, and it brings everyone on the same page. God has. Um, blessed me tremendously, and I want to spread that sort of blessing to others, um, and I want to uh, plant a seed um, in the reader's reader's life that will really help them improve their relationship with God. What makes this book different from others in the marketplace? I can see a couple things that I have observed, but what what do you see that's making it a little different and making an impact? Well, it's book is not really talking at you and it's uh it isn't uh, i've written uh course materials for participants uh, for general skills and things like that that teach people things but it's not necessarily doing that it's really just uh enhancing your prayer life and i don't think uh other books really make the commitment that i've made a lot of a lot of some other people are famous and They'll do ghostwriting with their books. They have other people to write their books. But this book is really from um, the bottom of my heart. It's really my experience, and it's really just a um, it's really just an extension of my faith. One thing you've described here is, and in your observations about the book, is that it goes beyond pen and paper. And we're in a contemporary society that has very little written material. All of it's either, as you mentioned, uh, maybe by uh, notes that are passed by phone or by uh, computer emails, that type of thing. The, The longevity of our conversations are diminished considerably. You've taken this beyond that. You've taken those those brief encounters uh, visually and have 
put them into a permanent form, which is which is unique, and also uh, certainly will be a blessing to to those who read it. You also, I think, by doing so, have subtly suggested that maybe we ought to look beyond the instant gratification of a of a brief note. Would uh, that also be a part of your purpose? Right. Well, social media is so important uh, as a tool today to stay connected. Uh, and I, uh, you know, with the size of churches are today and to build relationships, uh, I know we have different silos in the church and different pockets to communicate. I really think that um, I use social media in a way to kind of leverage the playing field so that we can take our faith beyond the four walls of the church and and also um, keep it uh, in realms where it's a safe place for people to really use uh, self-expression and to really be who they are and help stay equally yoked with those whom they care about and those whom are in their network. Beautifully put. The title of the book, again, is Everything's Always Perfect. And my author, who has joined me from near Washington, D.C., is author Kevin Jenkins. Kevin, is there another book in the future, do you think? Um, I have a couple of singles out. I have a single out now. It's called Impossible, and it just talks about how um, it encourages you to, to kind of identify what your impossible is and take change, take steps to make it, um, make it your possible, make it your reality. Uh, and then I also am working on a, uh, a, a leadership uh, book, which will um, just gives you a couple of principles of leadership that you can apply in the workplace. And it, it really does transfer over to your personal life as well. So Fab- I'm excited about that. Fabulous. Uh, congratulations on completing this. Where can my listeners get a copy of Everything's Always Perfect? Everything's Always Perfect is available everywhere, Google Play, the uh, iTunes bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, and anywhere uh, books are sold. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Again, listeners, this is a personal approach to prayer and uh, maybe personal growth in the spiritual realm. If you're a churchgoer, if you're not a churchgoer, but just want to improve your relationships, this is a book that I'm sure you'll enjoy because it'll be one that you'll refer to time after time and uh, possibly could even incorporate it into the usage in what is called small groups in churches. Uh, There's a lot of ways this could be adapted. Thank you again, Kevin, for joining me and sharing your story. Thank you, Jay, so much. My pleasure for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.